Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au If you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Today we're going to ask the question together of who is the Holy Spirit. And I just want to take us back to a little recap of last week for those that weren't with us and for those that were with us and, you know, just drifted off at some point. Let me just capture last week's message in a short moment. We looked at the Holy Spirit as present at the very beginning of the biblical story. Genesis 1 verse 2 says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So this picture of pre-creation, before everything came into being, there was God present, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the word for spirit in Genesis 1-2 is the Hebrew word ruach, which means breath or wind. And every time we find this word spirit throughout the Old Testament, we find this Hebrew word ruach. And this picture, so when you find the Hebrew word for breath, it's ruach. And the Hebrew word for wind, ruach. And so when we describe the spirit, we have these two pictures that give us a little bit of an understanding of the nature of, of the work of the spirit as the breath of God, breath that creates life and sustains life and gives life. See, your breath right now is the thing that even though you may not be aware of its presence is the thing that keeps you present here. And every breath is a gift from God. And so this picture of the Holy Spirit is the breath of God, the one who gives and sustains life. We also have this picture of the wind. You just stood in the breeze and you feel the presence of the wind. You can't see its originating source or the power behind it, but you know its presence. And the same with the Spirit. We can't always see it. We don't always know what it's doing, but we can feel the presence of God just stirring things and doing something new. And every time the Spirit appears in the Old Testament, the Spirit comes and creates something new or renews something broken or breathes new life or brings creativity. We looked at all the moments when the Ruach, the Spirit of God came and creativity was born. You know, the original picture of God in creation finds itself renewed in many times throughout the Old Testament as the Spirit of God came and creativity happened. We saw how when the Spirit arrived, the words of heaven, the words of God were spoken. The wisdom of heaven was spoken. The power of heaven invaded earth. We saw that when the Spirit came, restoration occurred and healing occurred. You see, when the Spirit is at work and is active, God is doing a new thing. He's breathing new life. He's bringing His healing, His restoration. Heaven and earth is coming together. Heaven and earth collides. But in the Old Testament, when we encounter the Holy Spirit, the Spirit comes upon particular people at particular times for particular purposes. See, the Spirit came upon Gideon. The Spirit came upon Moses, the Spirit came upon Samson, the Spirit came upon... We read all of these occasions where there's a picture of the Holy Spirit that is given or poured out onto a particular person at a particular time for a particular purpose. But the Old Testament always gives, uh, also gives us a sense that this is, wasn't the end of the story, that there was actually something more to come And so the Old Testament builds this anticipation. The prophet Joel, 
speaks these words in Joel 2, verse 28 and 29. He says this, Afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Just remember this, particular people, particular time, particular purpose. But prophet Joel says, as we look to the future, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. Well, what were those days going to be? You see, there was a shift. There was a sense that God was going to do something significant and God was going to do something new. And one of the marks of that new day was going to be that the Spirit of God was going to be present, not just at particular times with particular people for particular purposes, but... For all people. For all people. But we didn't know what that looked like. And then came Jesus. See, Jesus was God's plan all along to come and actually bring not just the message of reconciliation, but but through his own life, his death and his resurrection, bring the reality of God's kingdom breaking in, restoration, recreation and renewal of all things to bear. In Jesus, heaven literally invaded earth and set in motion something that right now we live in this in-between time where in Jesus the kingdom of God was announced and we look forward to the day when the kingdom of God is in all things and through all things and over all things. We live in this in-between time, but Jesus started to make noise that would suggest that the picture of the prophet Joel, that God was going to pour out his spirit on all people, was actually something that was actually linked to his life and his ministry. Jesus sitting with his disciples one day in uh, a moment is talking to them about a whole range of stuff and they're reflecting on the fact that Jesus is talking about a time that is coming and coming soon where he will die, where his life will be taken. But he also starts talking about resurrection. It must have been a really mind-bending conversation for all of them that were in it because Jesus is talking about some things that on one hand kind of made sense based on a lot of other things that he'd said but on another hand it made no human sense and as he dialogues with his disciples he says this John 14 verse 15 if you love me keep my commands and I'll ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be, and here's an important word, in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus says this, I know you're worried about what happens when I leave, but I've got some good news for you. I will never leave you alone because God the Father is going to send another, an advocate, If you look at different translations, the Greek word that's translated as advocate is the Greek word paraclete, which can also be translated counsellor, can also be translated encourager. So the advocate, the counsellor, the encourager, the comforter, God is not going to leave you alone. There is one coming who will not only be with you, but will also be in you. Jesus says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. We get this picture in this, just these few short passages of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, letting us know that He is forever going to be with us. And here's some good news in the story of Jesus. You are not alone. 
When we pray, come Holy Spirit, we don't say, God, it's really lonely and messy down here. Would you come and do what you've done in the past? What we acknowledge is that God has never left our story. Casey said it this morning in worship, the Spirit of God is present here with us. We don't need to conjure it up or sing louder or pray louder or shout in our preaching or hope for the best. Jesus says that he will send one who will be with us and actually reside in us. People of faith, the Spirit of God has already made his home in you. God is recreating you, giving you new birth. The prophet Ezekiel said, what's this look like? He says, I'm going to remove your heart of stone and give you a brand new heart. I'm going to breathe my spirit in you. We can't in our human and in our Western mindset understand exactly what that looks like. But God has promised that he will always be with you. And he is with you by the presence of his Holy Spirit, the living, breathing active member of the Godhead that is with you and in you and resourcing you and encouraging you and comforting you and advocating for you. And see, when the Spirit comes, the Spirit brings life because what God is doing in you through His Spirit is breathing life into you. He's breathing new life into you and he's doing a work in you from the inside out. He's transforming you. He's changing you daily to be more like Jesus. And the Bible talks in the New Testament about some of the ministry of the Spirit. One, he advocates for you. Jesus goes on to say, the Spirit will remind you of what I've said. In other words, the Spirit's work in your life helps you daily to transform, to become more like Jesus. Not just to know his words, but to understand them. To pick up the Word of God and go, I have no idea what this means, but something's happening in here because by the Spirit of God, he's bringing it alive in me. There's the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit. Not only is he with you, but he is in you. And the good news is you are not alone. There's moments when we look at all the challenges before us, when we look at all the mess of the world, when you think about your own faith journey and how you're going to take that next step or you look at the next big step of faith God's asking you to take in your workplace or in your relationships or in your family and you're overwhelmed by this sense of, you know, everything is against me, the world is against me, the voice of culture is against us, you know, our kids are in a world, we, we talk about this all the time, oh man, to, to grow up our kids in this world where there's so much noise that's coming against them, you know what God wants to say, don't worry, I'm with you. I'm in you. And again, we spoke this last week, but in the words of Jesus, don't worry, in this life you'll have trouble. In this world you'll have trouble, but don't fear. I've already overcome the world. The Spirit of God, the power and the presence of God is with us. And this is the New Testament picture of the Holy Spirit. It's God with us. It's God equipping us. It's God transforming us and it's why as we kick off this year understanding the Holy Spirit really matters you see there's something I think in in the human makeup that wants to strive for the things that we know are important and and sometimes in our faith we just think all we got to do this year is we get to New Year's Eve Maybe you just got to New Year's Eve and, and I do this too. Like well, I think we all do. I've got to pull up my socks a bit more. I've got to work a little bit harder on these different aspects of life and my spiritual life. But God wants to say, I've actually I've filled you with my spirit. I actually want to do this with you. I want to advocate for you. I want to walk alongside you. I want to grow you daily to be more like Jesus. 
You see, I'm convinced that on our own, we could still make church happen. We could still gather. We could still sing some great songs. I could... I don't need to prepare a sermon anymore. There's this thing called Chat G... What's it called? Chat, chat GDP. Who's heard of Chat GDP? Don't Google it because it's this artificial intelligence thing where I can say, write me a sermon and it'll pop out a sermon. It's fantastic. I don't have to do any work anymore. Artificial intelligence will write my sermons for me. See, we can... I, I would never do that, okay? Can we just get that out there? Can we capture that on the podcast? I would never do that. Say, no, I would never do that. The reality is we could run church. We could make church happen. We could gather young people on Friday nights. We could start life groups that meet in people's homes. We could even do some really good things. So in our own strength, we could do some good stuff, but God's not asking us to do good stuff. He's asking us to do God-breathed things. Because it's God and his spirit that brings transformation. And the thing that will transform us, the thing that will transform our community, the thing that will transform our church is not us getting better at what we do, even though working hard to get better matters. But it's us learning to become more dependent on the Holy Spirit of God in all that we do. Let me say that again. The thing that's going to change our church and transform our church and make us a powerful presence in our community in this world is not us getting better at what we do, even though we will keep working hard because that matters. But it's us learning to become more dependent on the Spirit of God for all that we do. Now the words of the prophet Joel were spoken again on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God did come in power upon a gathered group of people. They saw tongues of fire come from heaven to the point where the impact that it had on the people caused those that were watching it to say, geez, they look like they're drunk. But there was something when God overwhelmed his people. And Peter gets up and preaches his ripping great sermon where he just says, this is exactly what the prophet Joel said was going to happen, that God was going to pour out his spirit. What? On all people. And in that moment, the prophecy came true. And in that moment, guess what happened? The kingdom of God started to break through. 3,000 people, it said, were added to their number. 3,000 men, I think it said. So there was 3,000 is probably a small picture of what happened on that day. But just before that, something really important happens. Just before Jesus actually leaves the story physically, he's gathered with his disciples. He's been crucified He's walked free from the clutches of death. The resurrection has occurred. And the Bible tells us for about 40 days, Jesus walks with his disciples and appears to a whole bunch of other people and talks about the kingdom. And in Acts 1, it says this, that after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Baptism, the word baptise or baptizo in the Greek means to be immersed, to be overwhelmed. And Jesus says, I just, I don't want you to get too busy yet. I just want you to wait. 
Because the thing that's going to fuel everything that I have for you, the thing that's going to fuel your mission isn't you guys getting together now and strategizing about your next step. I just need you to wait because in a few days, my spirit is going to come and overwhelm you. You're going to be immersed in the spirit of God. And that is going to be the thing that is going to fuel you for everything that I call you to do. And in that moment, as the spirit came, as they waited, and then the spirit came, they were equipped and transformed to do all that God had called them to do. So I reckon God sometimes wants to say to us, don't get too busy trying to do this in your own strength. I need you to learn to wait. Let it be my power and my purpose overwhelming you. Be immersed in me and let that be the thing that fuels the life that I call you to live. And it's this point where I reckon we find ourselves with a challenge. And it's a challenge I want to have a little bit of fun with this morning. But I want to steal the words of Paul. Because Jesus says to his disciples, wait. And they wait. And guess what happens? A few days later, the Spirit comes. And that's the thing that fuels their mission into all the world. But Paul says this when he writes a letter to the church in the city of Galatia some years later. He says to them this. He says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I just want to change our focus for a little bit this morning because I hope what you've heard so far this morning is that the Spirit of God is the the gift of God, the presence of God with you that fills you and equips you and transforms you. So what does it mean now for us to live by the Spirit? One of the things my school used to do, and a show of hands, we used to have school discos. Who had school discos or school dances? Dubbo Christian School. Once or twice a year, we had a school disco. And uh, everyone would go because there wasn't much else happening in Dubbo. But they'd turn our library and they'd get some kind of a DJ in and all the students would come together one night for a school disco. And um, I'm not a dancer. I, I can't really dance. But it's kind of pointless going to a school disco and not trying to move somewhat, right? So, I mean, and I was a teenage boy. Like, all the girls were at the school disco and all the boys would go just to try and kind of bust some cool dance moves to impress someone. Now, I couldn't dance. The good thing for me was there were guys in my class that were worse dancers. There was one guy I can still remember it. So just one vivid memory of our school dance. That's how he danced. Now, I'm not a good dancer, but I've got a bit more than that. And the problem is everyone's looking at him going, that's a cool dance. So we go to the school dance and, uh, you know, the DJ would be playing a whole bunch of songs and I'd be trying to just do my little kind of cool 14, 15-year-old son dance. Songs like, I don't know what was playing at your school disco, but you know, we had like, life is a highway. And so I'd get kind of the knee thing with a bit of a sway going, Right? And then we go on to, if you want to call me baby, just go ahead. Now, see, I can get the arms involved, right? You've been struck by a smooth criminal. It's <laughs> my moonwalk, by the way. I've been perfecting that one for years. So, you know, I'd get on, get on by, kind of dance into the different songs, get a bit of arm movement, a bit of bounce. Can you see how I didn't win Chrissy over at a dance? But there'd be one song that had come on that had strike fear in me and about half the rest of the room. And some of you might know it. It was this song here. 
that song came on, I was out. I was out. Anyone know that song? Can we have a little bit of fun this morning? Because those that don't know it, I feel like they need to be immersed in this song. Right? I feel like there's just a moment for the next two or three minutes where we're going to introduce them to Tina Turner and Nutbush City Limits. Okay? Now, I've already admitted I can't dance, okay? But I need a few people to come and show us how to dance the Nutbush. Can we do that? I just, can someone not be shy? If you know this song, you want to... Oh, Judy Mills is coming. Oh, come, oh, people coming from everywhere. Come and join them. Oh, Josh. Oh, Lynn, Deb. Anyone else? This is your moment to dance in church. We're Baptist, right? I'm giving you two minutes this year to dance. All right, this is it. Anyone else want to join them? Rightio. Oh, come on, Naomi. Now, for your benefit, I'm just going to get out of the way. Hit it, Kane. Josh, you're way too young to know that song, mate, I've got to tell you. <laughs> oh. oh, man, the Nupush City Limits. That song was my nightmare. Because somewhere I missed the class where they taught, taught the dance moves to the Nutbush, right? I don't know why, but every time that song came on, I would just go, it doesn't look that complicated for the normal folk. But for us non-dancing folk... It looks really challenging. And so I would just disappear, right? And I'd just sit down with my mates. We'd talk about the cricket and we'd just be cool in the corner. But the nutbush just struck fear in me because there's something about it that doesn't look that complicated. But unless you've been taught the dance moves, you feel like an absolute outcast. Everyone knows the steps. Everyone knows the right time in the song to start. Most people know which way you turn. There are a few that went the wrong way. <laughs> Naomi and Judy didn't realise that everyone else went right and you two went left. But maybe that's the town or the place that you learnt the song. But you know, like, even that, they still look cool, didn't they? Like, we, we didn't know who was wrong, but everyone knows the moment where you turn and the, what's right and what's left, and I'm not even going to try. Everyone knows the steps. Everyone knows when to start. Everyone knows when to turn. And everyone knows that funky little manoeuvre where you kind of swivel and clap. But I don't know how to do the nutbush. And while I enjoyed everyone else do it, there was no way that I was going to make a fool of myself and attempt to join in. Because it has a very set number of steps and a very set rhythm. And even though it's done in unison with a great crowd of others, it's essentially an individual dance. I didn't just do that for just... It's good to have fun in church occasionally, isn't it? But I wonder if this is a picture that describes the way many of us see and embrace and feel about our faith. Maybe it's the reason why some of us choose to sit on the sidelines or the minute things start to heat up, just withdraw a little bit. 
Because we stand on the edge of the dance floor and we observe a whole group of other people that seem to have it all together. And as we watch, we feel really out of place and we feel really inadequate because we don't know the moves. No one's taught us the right moves. We don't know how to fit in. And so we don't get in on the dance. You see, I think there's a little journey in the nutbush. One is we look at others that know it. We compare ourselves to others. We realise that if you can't live up to that performance, get out of the dance. And then you sit on the sidelines feeling somewhat inadequate. You see, sometimes I think we look at faith like that. We think that we look at everybody else and we think that they know how to do this. They know the right stance. They know the right clothes to wear to church. They, they got their marriage together. They've got, they, you know, when they open their mouth and talk about Jesus, it makes sense. Everyone else seems to know how to read their Bible. Everyone else seems to know how to pray. When I open my mouth in life group and pray, man, I just sound like a goose, so I'd rather not do it. Everyone else seems to know the right moves and how to fit in and how to look like they've got it all together. You see, the problem is many of us live this where we watch everyone else live the Christian life and feel like there's some things we've got to learn so that we fit in. Paul writes to the church in Galatia and, and says this, since we live by the Spirit, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, the good news of Jesus is that he doesn't choose people that know all the right steps. He doesn't choose people that know the right way to turn. He doesn't look for people that kind of know how to look holy in worship. He doesn't choose the people that pray best. He doesn't choose the people that kind of know how to convince everybody else at church that they're doing really well. It just, Jesus isn't interested in that. He, he, he just wants available people that are willing to say, Spirit of God, fill me, transform me, and equip me. So you don't need to watch anyone else's dance moves because God wants to teach you to dance his moves. See, the journey of faith isn't about how well you do, how well you measure up, how your behaviour matches everybody else's and whether you can actually match everyone else. It's not about your capacity to get it right. And it's, it's why Paul writes to this church in Galatia because all these people had discovered new life in Jesus. They discovered the grace of God. But all of a sudden, someone else had come in and said, whoa, whoa, if you're going to be, if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to do things this way. And so suddenly they became more focused on all the things they had to do and all the right behaviours they had to make and all the things that made them look like they fit in, that they were actually starting to lose a sense of the grace of God that transforms any one of us in our brokenness and invites us into a dynamic new life of following Jesus and learning to walk in step with His Holy Spirit. And Paul says, you've fallen away from that. He actually says this, Galatians 5.4, you are trying to be justified by the law. In other words, you're trying to make yourself right. You're trying to convince God that you're good enough. You're trying to behave your way and earn your way into God's good books. But by doing that, you've been alienated from Christ. And you've fallen away from grace. See, maybe you've been told that there's a set of things that you need to measure up to. 
Maybe by observing others, you believe that there's some things that you need to do to be acceptable to others and to God. And so I wonder how many of us are just sitting on the sidelines of the great adventure that God has for us because we spend our whole life watching everyone else do their dance and decide that we don't measure up. Well, God wants to do something brand new in you. It's not learning to copy everyone else. Even though there's something about learning from others and learning the wisdom of others and being mentored by others, being accountable to others. But God doesn't want you to look like everyone else. He actually just wants you to look more like him. And no one else that you watch is going to measure up to Jesus. So the thing that we've got to learn to do is stop looking at everyone else and learn what it means to look to Jesus and allow his Holy Spirit to transform us. I'm going to get the band to come and join me. God wants to teach us corporately as a church, but individually as followers of his, what it means to live by the Spirit and walk in step with the Spirit. We're not going to get there by comparing ourselves to others because comparison just leads to inadequacy. And it's a sense of inadequacy that just puts a whole bunch of us on the sidelines. But Jesus wants to teach you a whole new way. What, what he wants to do is breathe his life into you. Breathe his spirit's life into you. And take you on a new adventure of learning to move with him. Not judged by anyone else's faith. Not judged by everyone else's performance. Not judged by the way anyone else dance. He wants to teach you to do a new dance. It's all about you faithfully keeping in step with his Holy Spirit. Paul says, you were trying to be justified by the law, but you've been alienated for Christ and you have fallen away from grace. Next verse, for through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Paul just keeps wanting to bring it back. God has done a new thing in Jesus. He's brought about his redemption. The kingdom has come. And as Jesus promised, now he's going to send one, an advocate, a counsellor, an encourager to do this with you. God is with you. God is in you. The Spirit of God is in you. It's transforming you from the inside out. It's helping you understand day by day what it is to walk in step with God. We'll talk about this in a few weeks, but that passage continues to go. As you allow God's Spirit to do a work in you, guess what happens? Fruit starts to emerge. It's a beautiful analogy because fruit doesn't happen the minute you plant the seed. Fruit takes time and takes nurture. It just takes time. And God's doing that. He's, he's taking time to actually nurture something brand new inside of you. The Spirit's work in you is actually going to help you be more patient. I think as the body declines, we become less patient. But the Spirit's work in you makes us more patient. The Spirit's work in you is going to help you be kinder. It's the Spirit's work in you that's going to help you. Not every time someone gets up here and says, oh, it's time to give. Just any time there's a mention of money just to clam up. The Spirit's work's going to actually breed a generous heart in you. The Spirit's work in you is actually going to help you love your husband or your wife more. It's going to help you be more patient with your kids. Because this is what happens when God regenerates and renews and restores and does a work from the inside out. Here's the good news for all of us today. 
God is restoring us and regenerating us from the inside out. He wants us to become more aware of his presence, his breath within us. But he wants us to learn, as Paul says, what it means to walk in step with the Spirit. So my question this morning is simple. Would you just allow whatever your experience of the Holy Spirit is or your theology of the Holy Spirit is, Jesus himself said, I'm going to send you my Spirit to be with you, to be in you, to transform you daily to become more like Jesus, to equip you to live out the purposes that God has for you. So that together, this one life that he's given you, this one breath that right now he gives you won't be wasted, but will have kingdom impact. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we would love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au. 